Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, we started a few weeks ago on uh, an adventure, a series, where we have been looking at a number of Bible stories, famous Bible stories that we as parents tell our children. Um, and as, as we've read them over and over again, we've become familiar with the story, but uh, sometimes we, we miss maybe the greater meaning for us and implication for us as children of God ourselves. I know as I've read these stories to my son over and over again, I'm struck by the, the power and the truth that's there. And so we have been looking at a number of these stories um, over the last few weeks. And we began three weeks ago by looking at the story of creation from Genesis 1. And then two weeks ago, we looked at the story of David and Goliath from 1 Samuel 17. And last week, we looked at Jesus calling Simon on the Sea of Galilee. We looked at that from Luke chapter 5. And this week, we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 19 in the story of Zacchaeus. But uh, before we open up and look at that story today, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for your truth, and we thank you for uh, your, your, your love for us, this amazing grace, our only hope, and the opportunity to follow you and to know you, Father, is something that we don't deserve, but that you give us anyway. And Father, I just want to thank you for that. And pray, Father, that just as you have worked to redeem us and to bring us into relationship with you, so also you don't leave us empty-handed this morning. Your Spirit is here, and your Spirit is at work, and I pray that your Spirit would illuminate the text for us so that we might understand what you would have us to see here. And Father, I pray that you would protect me from saying anything today that you wouldn't want said. But if I do say something, Lord, that you wouldn't want said, I pray that it would just quickly be forgotten. Father, anything I share today that you would want us to hear, I pray that we would remember it, we would believe it, we would walk forward in faith in it, we might be shaped more into the image of your Son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We, That's my son Joshua. You know, we uh, uh, I told I told Greg this in the first service. You know, I, realizing that Katie was going to sing, I had to one up him. You know, so uh, uh, <laughs> just, just kidding. No, it, it was uh, you know that that, that song is uh, for many of us is our you know the bulk of information we know about Zacchaeus. How many of you grew up singing that song or, or have sung that song with your kids or something? Right? I mean that that song is the introduction, the body, the conclusion. It's it's all of those things for us when we think of the message of the story of Zacchaeus. I mean, many times that's all that we know is uh, what is in that little song. And, and my, my question for you is this, if you've ever really thought about what is the central message that that song teaches us about the story of Zacchaeus? Think, think about it. What, what's the central message that that story teaches about the story of Zacchaeus? 
You know, I think that one of the things that, 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 at least for me, when I listen to the lyrics of that song, I think of cute little Zacchaeus got to have dinner with Jesus. Isn't that nice? Nice little cute Zacchaeus got to have dinner with Jesus. Isn't that nice? I mean, that's kind of what, what that song begins to convey. But you know what the reality is? That this story is, is way more complex than that. You see, Zacchaeus was small, but he was not nice and cute. Zacchaeus was an enemy of the nation of Israel. People didn't like him. He was anathema. No one wanted to have anything to do with this guy except Jesus. And he enters into a relationship that drastically changes his life. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the story of Zacchaeus, and we're going to see as we look at it a little more about what are the implications of this story for us and how we might go about applying this truth of the small man who had his life radically changed by the Savior in the city of Jericho. So let's uh, uh, look at it together. Let's look at uh, Luke 19 and the story of Zacchaeus. It's the first 10 verses of Luke 19. Um, And and what we're going to do today is we're really going to see two things, two applications, two things to notice from the story of Zacchaeus for us as grown children of God looking at this father's story. Um, but, but in order for these two things to make sense, I really think we have to place chapter 19 of Luke in the context of the rest of the book of Luke. Uh, you see, the book of Luke lays out for us a long section of it from the middle of the book up through the portion that we're looking at in chapter 19. Uh, biblical scholars have called it Luke's travel log. It was the story of Jesus marching to Jerusalem. He was going to Jerusalem to eventually die on the cross and to be raised from the dead for our sins. Uh, that's the, the, the overall encounter. So as Jesus is walking to Jerusalem, he's passing through various towns, including Jericho, where he comes in chapter 19. But before he gets to Jericho, before he sees Zacchaeus up in that tree, uh, Jesus taught several things in Luke chapter 18. And some of the things that Jesus taught in Luke 18... Zacchaeus embodies in Luke 19. And so what we're going to do is we're going to see two of the things that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 18 that Zacchaeus demonstrates for us in Luke 19 so that we know how to apply the truth of the story a little better. And so the first thing that we're going to see as we look at this story, at this passage, is this, that we are to pursue Christ with a childlike faith. We're to pursue Christ with a childlike faith. And we see that in the first seven verses of chapter 19. But before we get there, Jesus taught about this very thing in Luke chapter 18. See, in Luke 18, Jesus taught uh, several things by way of parables. And one of the parables that Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 18 has to do with a Pharisee, which were the religious heroes of the day, and a tax collector, which were known by all the people as the chief sinners of their day. And so Jesus tells a story about the religious person and the sinner who go to the temple to pray. And the story really is about which of these two people, the religious hero or the sinner, which of these two people has a heart that God likes, has an attitude or a posture before God that is pleasing to him. And so Jesus talks about these two men, and he talks about the Pharisee, the religious hero that walks in, and he's all haughty and proud, and he's thanking God that he's not a sinner like all the rest of those people and all this stuff. And then in walks the tax collector, the sinner, and the tax collector or the sinner just lowers his head and prays, saying, God, have mercy on my soul. 
And Jesus gives commentary on this story that he tells, and he says, you know what, it's not the religious hero, it's the sinner, it's the tax collector who has a a heart or a posture before me that is what I desire. We see it in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 18. He says, but the tax collector, Jesus says, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus teaches a story about a tax collector who has a relationship with God because he is humble before him. And right after Jesus tells the story about the tax collector, the sinner who has a relationship because of his humble attitude and his asking for forgiveness, right after he tells that, Jesus starts talking about children. And, and you know, it's, it's, it might, we might think that the reason why these events are recorded here is because they happen sequentially, and I, I think that they did happen sequentially. They happened close together. But I think there's a connection between Jesus' conversation about children and the tax collector who declares his need. See, Jesus says in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 18 of Luke, he says, But Jesus called to them, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. See, Jesus was drawing a connection. He's saying that there is a way in which we should relate to God. There's a way in which we should follow him. And that way has something more to do like a tax collector who recognizes his need. And it has more to do with the way a child approaches me. And there's a connection between those two. Because both the tax collector and a child are people who are very aware of their need. Now think about children. Children are very aware of their needs. If you've got kids in your house, or if you used to have kids in your house, you think back to that, uh, your children are very aware of their need. Uh, they, they call out for you all the time. I mean, if you've got small kids in the house, how many times moms do you hear, mommy, mom, mom, mommy, mom, 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 mommy, mom, mom, can you get a drink of water, can you do this, can you do that, you know, dad, 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 can you do this, can you do that, dad, dad, can you do this, can you help me down, can you get this for me, da, 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 da. You, it's all the time, these requests. Why do we get those requests? It's because the child is very aware of their need. There's things that they want. There's things they hope to accomplish. There's things that would satisfy their curiosity, their thirst, their hunger, whatever it might be. And in order to get those needs met, they need some help. They don't walk around, you know, haughty thinking that they've got it all. They realize that they need some help. And so that is very similar to, in a spiritual way, the way the tax collector was so aware of his need. He didn't walk into the temple saying, I've got it all under control. He walked into the temple saying, God, 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 I have a need. I'm a sinner. Help me. And so in that way, both the child and the tax collector are representative of people who are well aware of their needs. And Jesus says that he wants people to pursue him like a child. Now, it's interesting, children... Uh, Not only are they aware of their need, but they also will express themselves many times without the same reservations uh, that grown-ups have. Think about the way that that children relate. If they're happy, you know it. Clap your hands. No. If they're happy, you know it. If they're sad, you know it. Kids, their emotions are right out there on the the open. They they, they just see it. I mean, think about, you know, an experience when I come home at night, you know, my wife is very happy to see me. 
Um, and, and I'm happy to see her. But we, we greet each other like, hey, how was your day? You know, it was good. You know how my son greets me? Bad! You know, he comes running down the hall and he jumps like, you know, the long jump into my arms and just awesome. It's a wonderful moment. Uh, he does it. But why does he do that? He does that because he doesn't have the same reserve than anybody else. I mean, he feels excitement. He's going to show it with his entire body. He's going to show it with all that he is. He's leaning into that moment. The kids have this exuberance. They, they don't have the reserve, the, 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 shows, the social P's and Q's that the rest of us have. And Jesus says that we're to pursue him with a kind of childlike faith. A faith that recognizes our need and a faith that pursues him regardless of how it might look to others around us. And Jesus teaches that in chapter 18, and then when we get over to chapter 19, I believe Zacchaeus is a great illustration of it. It's a 3D walking example of what he just taught in chapter 18. Look at what it says, beginning in verse 19, verse 1. It says that Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through. He was on the way to Jerusalem. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small of stature. What do we find out about Zacchaeus in these verses? One of the things we find out is that he is a wee little man, right? Uh, We find out that he is short. It says he is small of stature. Well, what does that mean, small of stature? Does that mean that everybody was you know, 6'5", and he was 5'8"? I mean, what what are we talking about here? I mean, if you apply standard height of, the, of Israel at this time for men, uh, someone who was small of stature was probably somebody who was five feet tall or shorter. Um, Zacchaeus was a, a short guy, but we know more about him than just he was short. Uh, he, he was short, but he certainly wasn't short and cute. He was short, and he was a pretty uh, ruthless guy because of how he made his living, and he was good at it. It says that he was a rich chief tax collector. That's the way he's described, a rich chief tax collector. Now, there are tax collectors all over the New Testament, but there's only one person that is called a chief tax collector in the New Testament, and that's Zacchaeus. What that means is that Zacchaeus was probably at the top of the pyramid scheme of tax collectors in the city of Jericho. Not only did he collect taxes, but he had other people that collected taxes, and he took percentages of the the wages that they collected. And tax collectors in the ancient world were especially hated because this is how it worked. You got to be a tax collector by bidding and getting, a, getting the job. And they gave their taxes to, the, to, the, to Rome, to the empire. And so you can imagine it this way. Rome says, for the city of Norman, you're required to collect $100,000 in taxes. And if you were the tax collector for the city of Norman, you, you collect 100000 and the first 100000 you collect, you give to Rome. But every dime you collect over $100,000, you get the pocket. Let's say you collect a million dollars worth of taxes and you live a $900,000 lifestyle and only 100000 of it had to go to Rome. Now, how popular would you be among your friends? If you had to collect $100,000 from everybody in this room and then you lived large while the rest of us struggled, how popular would you be in this room? And he was good at it. He was rich. See, Zacchaeus was a rich tax collector who was small of stature. Can you imagine the jokes that were told behind Zacchaeus' back? I mean, the little man disease, whatever you want to say, they, they, were, they were all over this guy. I'm convinced of it. 
People wanted nothing to do with him um, because he had gotten rich off their backs. I mean, that's one of the reasons why when Jesus tells the story about the Pharisee and the tax collector, everybody acknowledges the tax collector to be the chief of sinners because they were the villains of the local cities. Zacchaeus was a small of stature, rich chief tax collector. And he had heard that Jesus was going to come through town. And he wanted to see him. Now, why would Zacchaeus want to see Jesus? I mean, apart from the normal curiosity, I mean, everybody wanted to see Jesus. Why would Zacchaeus particularly want to see Jesus? I think Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus because Jesus had a reputation for being the friend of tax collectors. Remember, one of Jesus' very own disciples was Matthew, a former tax collector. Jesus had a reputation uh, um, in the area of uh, Israel as being a friend of tax collectors. Um, we see that over in the book of Luke chapter 7 and verse 34. Jesus is describing, he's parroting back what he knows is his uh, reputation among the people. He says, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus' reputation was somebody who was a friend of tax collectors. Now, Zacchaeus didn't have very many friends. Somebody is coming to town who is a friend of tax collectors. That is big news in the tax collecting world. Zacchaeus wants to catch a glimpse. He wants to see him. And so he looks at the situation that's unfolding. He says he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he cannot because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Now think about this. What would have been the easiest way for Zacchaeus to see Jesus? The easiest way for him to see him would have been for somebody to let him stand on the front row, right? You go to the, the Christmas parade in Norman. You don't have the kids stand at the back. You just stand on the front so they can see Santa when he passes by. I mean, the easiest thing would have been for somebody to allow Zacchaeus to come up front, but nobody was going to let that wretched tax collector to the front of the line. Just further shows his alienation from the rest of the people. I mean, he was on the outside looking in. And so Zacchaeus sees this situation, and he thinks, okay, I can't get there because no one will let me through, so what does he do? I'm going to go climb a sycamore fig tree, and I'm going to go see Jesus. Now, now, now think about this. How funny must it have looked for a grown man, this tax collector, to go climb a tree to see somebody who was passing by? I mean, think about it. Think about the, 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 the local dignitaries. Imagine... You know, somebody is, is coming through Washington, D.C., and, you know, you, you, you look at the crowd, and it's, it's all crowded, and all of a sudden you see President Obama climb, the tr- climb a tree to be able to see somebody passing by. You'd say, that is really strange. Somebody should let him to the front of the line. He's an important person. It was been very strange looking to see this public official climbing a tree to see Jesus. It was very odd, but well, what does it show? What does it show about Zacchaeus, it showed that he has a childlike kind of faith. See, Zacchaeus, what was his job? He was a tax collector. What did Jesus' parable, what was it about? It was about a tax collector. A tax collector who recognized his need. Zacchaeus recognizes that Jesus may be his only friend. Jesus may be the one who is able to do for him what nobody else can do, to assuage his conscience, to forgive his sins, give him community, 
Zacchaeus is a living example of the story that Jesus just told. And Zacchaeus is coming to Christ with a childlike kind of faith. He's climbing up a tree enthusiastically just to catch a glimpse of Jesus. You see, Zacchaeus' hope is that he might just see Jesus pass by. But you know what? He gets a whole lot more than that. Look at what it says. It says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. See, what happens in verses 5 and 6, I believe, is an indication of Zacchaeus coming into a saving relationship with Christ. Zacchaeus wanted to catch a glimpse of Jesus, but Jesus offered him something more. Not just a glimpse of him, Jesus offered him an eternal relationship. He offered him forgiveness. He offered to share in his sins and to have table fellowship at his house. Jesus, in verse 5, graciously extends an offer to salvation. I'm going to go to your house today. In verse 6, Zacchaeus receives it when it says he hurried down and he joyously received Christ into his home. You know, that that phrase in verse 6 where it says, Zacchaeus says, he received him joyfully. That's a phrase used by Luke only in instances where salvation is received in his gospel. You see, Jesus has entered into an eternal relationship with Zacchaeus at this point. He's offering to identify with his sins, to have table fellowship with him, to offer forgiveness and all of that right here from the tree. And Zacchaeus received it joyfully. Now, when you you see this, you see that Zacchaeus is someone that pursued Christ with a childlike faith. Um, and this is something that is offered to all of us, just as it was offered to Zacchaeus. Uh, the instance of verses 5 and 6 of chapter 19 are very reminiscent to me of what Jesus says to all of us in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus says, behold, Mark, behold, Christine, I'm coming to your house today. I want to have intimate fellowship with you. I'm offering that to you. Would you receive me by faith? Christ is offering that kind of fellowship with us today. Now, what do we do in response to that? In response to this picture, what do we do? What does it look like for you and I to pursue Christ with a childlike kind of a faith? Like the first thing that this means for us is that we pursue Christ with a childlike faith and we recognize our need. We recognize our need. we, We don't come to Christ thinking that he owes us something. We don't come to Christ thinking that we have everything all together on our own. We come to Christ acknowledging that we are sinful people. Just as the tax collector got it right because he realized that It was not about him, but it was about what God could offer him in forgiveness. So also, we need to come to Christ with a humble attitude, 
confessing our sin and declaring our need for a Savior. That was true of Zacchaeus, and that's true of us. And, And the question is, how needy do we feel? How childlike needy do we feel for our Savior? It's, it's something that we need to come to grips with because the reality is that all of us are in great need, even though only some of us feel that way on a regular basis. You know, if you are have just coming out of a prodigal period of your life, or if you are, are somebody that has just experienced a lot, of, a lot of sin or you're faced with something really, really large and you're, you're very aware of that, you're probably sitting here today going, yeah, you're describing me. But it's also possible that we could be sitting here today and there could be some of us that have yet to come to realize the depth of our need for God. The truth of the matter is that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are perpetually in need of His grace. And all of us have the opportunity to receive Him into our home. That He's offered to come into fellowship with us, as Revelation 3.20 says. The first thing is, we have a sense of our need that we can come to him like a child. But the second thing is, is as we realize that we have this need, as we receive him on the basis of our need and his provision of that to, for that need, uh, the second thing is, do we come to him like a childlike faith and with that kind of exuberance, that kind of enthusiasm? I mean, Zacchaeus was willing to climb a tree, regardless of how anybody else thought that looked, he was able to climb a tree just to catch a glimpse of Christ. The question is, when was the last time you followed Christ in such a way that it looked kind of silly to those around you? I don't mean just do something just to be silly, but if, if you ever felt God working within your heart in such a way that, that you responded with the kind of exuberance that he was building up within you, it might be in the, in the area of worship. You know, sometimes when we, we come together to worship, we, you know, we really want to belt out and sing with the song because it's declaring a truth that we're really resonating with. And we really want to sing loud, but we, we hold back because we're afraid of what others might hear us sound like. Like, you know, if I had a voice like Greg or Katie Hill, I might sing loud, but I don't have a voice like them, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold back and kind of whisper to myself. That's possible that we're considering what others think more than we're, con- you know, worshiping and lifting up, lifting up the Lord. It's also possible that God is working within our hearts. We want to raise our hands and worship. And, you know, but as, as our arms start to go up, we get alligator arms, right? We, we don't want to get up much past here because we're afraid of what it might look like to those around us. Now, I'm not saying that everybody has to raise their arms to worship or that everybody has to sing really loud to worship, but I'm saying if, if, if you've ever been in those moments where you feel God welling up within you to, to declare a worship to Him and you, you hold back because you think of how it might look to somebody else. You know, a childlike kind of faith doesn't do that. A childlike kind of faith says, Father, and goes running into His arms. In the area of worship, also in the area of, of, of Bible study. You know, sometimes I, we, we come to, to look at God's Word in, a, in very grown-up kinds of ways, right? We come to look at it in very grown-up kinds of ways. Oh, Lord, what, what do you have here? Oh, this is nice. Nice little tree. Thank you, thank you. You know, hey, have you ever gone to look at God's Word with a, with a childlike kind of faith? Wow, Lord, look at, look, at, look at you. This is real. Go running into His arms as we read the text, realizing what He's offering to us here. See, Zacchaeus models for us someone that pursued Christ with a childlike kind of faith. The question is, do we pursue Christ with a childlike faith? That's one of the things I think we can see from the story of Zacchaeus. 
in the context of chapters 18 and 19 of Luke. But the second thing is this. The first thing is that we pursue Christ with a childlike faith. The second thing is that we need to pass through the eye of a needle. Pass through the eye of a needle. Now, now where does that terminology come from? What comes also from Luke chapter 18? See, in Luke 18, Jesus, as he's walking towards Jerusalem through Jericho, comes across a man who is a rich young ruler. And this rich young ruler comes up to Christ and he's trying to justify himself. What that means is he was trying to to see if Jesus would give a, a stamp on his life and say, what you've done is good enough, you are righteous enough by your own actions in order to enter into a relationship with God eternally in heaven. The, the rich young man is, is hoping to be validated by Christ. And so he says, Jesus, tell me what I need to do. And Jesus says, what do you think? And they have this conversation. And he says, I've, I've done all those things. And Jesus then says in verse 21, Jesus, or 22, Jesus heard this and said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Jesus cuts the rich young man right to the core and says, I'm going to give you a challenge. If you want to follow me, then place me, the Savior, before your stuff. But when the man heard this, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. In other words, he valued his stuff more than the Savior, and so what Jesus was asking seemed absurd to him. Verse 24, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with men is possible with God. In other words, what was at a core issue for the rich young man was not how much he gave, but it was his attitude towards his stuff. He loved his stuff more than he loved the Savior, so he was unwilling to follow Christ in this, in this area. Uh, Jesus doesn't issue this call that everybody must sell everything they've got all the time and never hold any possessions. Uh, he doesn't do that in other places. His followers had possessions uh, in other spots. We're getting ready to see Zacchaeus only sold half of his stuff. It wasn't, the issue was not how much of his stuff that he gave, but it was his attitude towards his stuff. The rich young man said, hey, I like my stuff more than I like you, and so I'm going to hang on to my stuff and not follow you. That was the real issue. And so the disciples look at this, and they said, hey, that guy, he had a pretty righteous resume. He's done a lot of good things. If he can't be saved, who could possibly be saved? And Jesus says, hey, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God because the implication, they've got a lot to lose. But he says, what's impossible for men is possible for God. Flash forward a few verses to chapter 19, and you see a rich chief tax collector pass through the eye of a needle. Zacchaeus, the rich man, hops down out of that tree and receives salvation in verse 6. And even though people are grumbling, he walks with Christ to his house. And verse 8 says, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. 
And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You see, when Christ gets a hold of the heart of Zacchaeus, he does what would have been impossible otherwise, would have made no sense otherwise. He passes through the eye of a needle because God does something revolutionary within his heart and his attitude towards his stuff changes. Remember, he got his wealth by defrauding people. Christ comes into his heart and his life immediately shifts. His attitude towards his stuff changes and he says, I'm going to give back to everybody I've defrauded four times what I took from them. I'm going to give half of everything I've got to the poor. His attitude towards his stuff radically changed when he passed through the eye of a needle, when God redeemed his heart. Now, one thing I think is important to note in this passage is it looks like at first glance that Zacchaeus came to faith in Christ in verse 8. It looks in some ways like he bought his salvation, right? He decides to give half of everything away. He decides to refund those he defrauded fourfold what he took from them. And then Jesus said, today salvation has entered your house. For you're a child of Abraham. But, but, but the reality is that the, the verbiage of verses 5 and 6 indicate that Zacchaeus' heart was changed in the tree. When he gets to the house, it's a redeemed heart that begins to act in a different way. It wasn't that he bought salvation. It was that his salvation changed his perspective on his stuff. And Jesus says, when he sees him acting this way, he says, you look like a changed man. Zacchaeus, you look like someone who is now saved. And he says, you are a child of Abraham. What, what, what is that all about? What is, what is that about, the child of Abraham stuff? Remember, the nation of Israel crowded around the road and formed a human wall and said, Zacchaeus, back of the line. We're the real children of Abraham. We're the real people. We're not the turncoats that have partnered with the Romans. We're the real guys. You're at the back of the line. Jesus' comment here is to say, That man in the tree is the guy who really gets it. He's the real child of Abraham. He's the one who has embraced me in faith. He's the one who has recognized his sin. He's the one who is pursuing me with a childlike exuberance. And he's the one that salvation has entered his house today. See, Zacchaeus' life was changed. He passed through the eye of a needle. And for us, as we hear this, It's a reminder to us that when we enter into a relationship with Christ, our lives pass through the eye of a needle as well. Our lives change, and we do things that we would have said would have been impossible before this. We begin to have new sets of desires and do things that before we came to Christ and before we started walking with Christ would have have not even been a part of our package, not even a part of our mentality. You know, when, when we come into a relationship with Christ, we pass through the eye of a needle when we forgive someone that we otherwise would not have forgiven. When we come into a relationship with Christ, we've passed through the eye of a needle when we maintain a relationship that we otherwise would have jettisoned. Those are instances where Christ has redeemed our heart in such a way that our attitude and perspective is just different than it would be apart from Him. So we act in a different way. In Zacchaeus' case, it was in the area of his finances. And you know what, for, for us as well as, as people who 
come into a relationship with Christ, it's true for us as well that our perspective towards our stuff changes when the Savior is at the top of the food chain. When we are following our Savior and not the accumulation of more stuff, our perspective on it just changes. We become, we have, we have less sticky fingers. We allow things to flow through us more freely and to bless others with it because we have an understanding that God has blessed us and that this money is only temporary and those kinds of things. For Zacchaeus, it led to you know, refunding those he had defrauded. It led to giving half of what he had to the poor. And, and you know, the, the, the reality for us as we hear that is that we wonder, okay, is that the model for us? Is the model for us, when we begin to walk with Christ, is the model for us that we should give half of what we own to the poor and be done with it? You know, that's some of what we, what we think of. When we think of percentages, whether it's 50% as Zacchaeus or whether it's 100% like the rich young ruler or whether it's a 10% tithe from the Old Testament economy, whatever it might be, you know, part of the reason why we like those percentages is we want to know where the line is. Okay, if it's 10%, I'll give God 10% and then the rest is mine. If it's 50%, I give him 50% and the rest is mine. If it's 100%, I'll give him 100% and then I'll go make another 100%. Whatever it is, we think, you know, surely there's a line someplace and knowing a percentage allows us to say, okay, that's the parameter, that's God's, this is mine. But that's not what happened here. What happened here was not that Jesus said, okay, the number's 50%, Zacchaeus, go do it. What happened here was that Zacchaeus' heart was captivated by the Savior, and that translated to how he handled his finances. The issue was not the percentage that he gave. The issue was that his heart was captivated by Christ. And when his heart was captivated by Christ, it changed the way that he handled his stuff. The thing that we need to do when we seek to apply this is we need to stop and consider how are we handling our stuff differently because of the Savior. As we have entered into a relationship with Him, no doubt there is a change in desires and motives and things we care about and things that get us excited and all those kinds of things. It's all happening on the inside. But knowing that all that's happening on the inside, how is it manifesting itself? I'm not going to stand up here today and say, hey, you've got to give 50%, you've got to give 10%, you've got to give... What I would say is, hey, go before the Lord and say, God... You are producing new desires in me. What would you have me to do in response to your grace in my life and your provision? What would you have me to do? Is it, is it this amount? Is it that amount? Is it whatever? You know, and we've got to periodically be reviewing that and going back over it. Um, see, we, we give as Christians not because we have to, not because there's a God tax. We give as Christians because it's an overflow of what God is transforming in our hearts. You know, for some of you today, you hear that and you've been in the practice of doing this for years and just let this serve as an encouragement to you. You know, that's why we're doing what we're doing. We're generous. We give to the church. We give to organizations. We give to missions. We give to people in need. We give to charitable causes because God is doing something within our heart. And if, if that's something that you've been a, has been a part of your life, that's, 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 that's what's happening. But, but for others of us here today, this is maybe a new perspective. Maybe we've never thought about this before. Never thought that there is a connection between what God has done in my life and, and these new sets of desires and then how I invest the resources that God has, has given to me. And if that's you, I just would encourage you to, to, to go home today and just, just to pray and think, what, what would you have me to do? Father, what, what, you know, it may, may take some incremental steps over time, but how, how would you want me to, to invest 
the resources that you've given us, what would it look like for your grace to be evidenced in the way that I spend the, the money and the resources that we have? I'm not going to put a percentage on that. It's between you and God. And it's not about Wildwood. There's lots of places where you can give to local church, to, to missions, to different things. But what, what is it? The issue is your heart. Is the Savior above the stuff? So how does that play out? And God will give you a new, has given you a new set of desires in Christ so that we joyfully can participate in his work. See, in the story of Zacchaeus, we get an example of childlike faith. And we're called to pursue Christ with that same childlike faith. And as we begin to pursue him, there are lives changed so that we literally pass through the eye of a needle. What was impossible is now possible because of the work of God in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. And we thank you for this time to look at your word and to, to just be captured by your gracious offer to this tax collector named Zacchaeus to come to his house and to offer him salvation. Father, we thank, we're thankful because it reminds us that we are all sinners also and that you have offered us table fellowship with you as well. Father, I pray that you would give us the faith to follow you like a child. And Father, that we would also continue to exhibit faith as you pass us through the eye of a needle and you do in our lives what would be impossible apart from the work of Christ. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. At the end of the service, there will be some of us up here at the foot of the cross if you'd like for somebody to to pray with you this morning. And uh, we're going to be ending.